Welcome everyone. Today's episode of the Heat Assist Podcast. Today I'm going to be your host. I'm David. Who is joining me today? Hey guys, this is Stephen. And for today, we are go over the Eastern Conference Finals: Miami Heat versus Boston Celtics, Game Two and Three. How the Heat won Game Two, and then but also lost in Game Three. And we just look over like what we thought about both games and what we what what were our takeaways. I, unfortunately, we don't really have much news, so we'll go straight into Game Two, where the Heat won uh, close matchup. But the Heat they usually struggle. Um, he really struggled in the first half for the Miami Heat. Just struggled to just, just to shoot the basketball and play defense. And the difference was was it seemed like Kemba Walker, who who was much better in in this in this game two and game three. But a person we mentioned last time last week in our podcast, Jalen Brown, was much more involved in this game and more aggressive. I thought we also saw Ennis Kenner Wanamaker just. Uh, well, Ennis Kenner, just first time we saw him, did see him this se- series, and but they were really involved in and in dominating the second quarter. The Heat were just so bad in the, in the second quarter that like the it, that's where the Celtics blew it wide open and it led to the Heat being down sixty to forty seven at halftime. Then in the second half of game two, that's when things changed. Eric Spolstra has some trick of his sleeves, uh, start implement really implementing the zone two three zone defense. And but also just implementing the pick and roll for the offense in the third quarter, this really showed where Goran Dragic and Bam Bio really hit it off in this third quarter in the pick and roll, just targeting the the Celtics big man in the pick and roll defense. Like Goran Dragic was when he got his shot going, and then the Heat were hitting their three point shot. Every time they run the pick and roll, they had to guard Goran Dragic. He, he he attracted so much attention. And since the Heat still had all the three-point shooters, Celtics couldn't send help, couldn't sag off the three-point shooters. And it left like an easy matchup for Bam. Or because Dragic has so much attention, he could easy for a lob to, to Bam as well. And like that combo in the third really was giving trouble trouble to the to the Celtics. That's when the Heat overcame their deficit and actually led. And I think it also helped in the third quarter. The Celtics turned it over so much and that the Heat has 16 points off the turnovers in the third quarter. So, Steven, did you notice anything else about this important quarter? Yeah, I, just a few things. Kind of wanted to emphasize what you said about how poorly we played in the first half. Yeah. I was very surprised that the Celtics were so ineffective at, at not being able to stop the pick and roll between Drogic and Bam. And also even Tyler Hero got in on the action as well, doing a few lobs to Bam. Like David mentioned, the Celtics didn't want to send a help for the helper against mm-hmm. Bam because of their three-point threat. But it just left the basket so wide open for Bam to just roll off the pick and roll and go straight for the basket for an easy dunk. And these are dunks that are completely uncontested. Right. And it just left a huge hole in the Celtics defense. I also wanted to emphasize on what David says as far as how the 2-3 zone defense really helped the Heat and how ineffective the Celtics were to stopping it. I believe that he really started implementing straight on the around the 7 or 6 minute mark in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And they just never left it. So the rest of the game, right. the Celtics could not beat that zone defense. And you would think that the zone defense is like the secret super defensive play, but it's not. It's a very common defensive play that 
is used in high school basketball, college basketball, and you think that these pros will be able to attack it efficiently. And you hear how that was pretty much all the talk after game two and how the Celtics were just, they just kind of seemed lost as to how to tackle the zone defense. And when you have these super threats on the offense with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, you would think like these guys should be able to figure out how to attack and be effective against the zone defense. But they were completely out of rhythm. They didn't know how to attack. You look at the spacing during their attempts to score. They were always bunched up together, and there was never mm-hmm. any proper space for them to try to find the open spot. And I'm not very good at technical analysis to explain these sorts of plays, but I'm going to give it a try here. When you're facing a 2-3 zone defense, you usually want one guy to be right at the free throw line so that if you pass it to him, the defense collapses to that mm-hmm. guy. And then you also want two guys on each wing, the other two guys at each corner. The point is you want to be able to have the defensive players in the zone collapse. So let's say you start ball, you bring it up the half court, you see the zone defense being settled. You have the playmaker start off at one of the wings, and then you have the option to pass it to the guy at the free throw line. And obviously, most likely, the 2-3 zone probably going to collapse into him. Now, what that's supposed to cause is some sort of confusion as to how that defense is going to react to that guy with the ball at the free throw line. The two front wing defenders of the zone, are they going to collapse into that guy on top? So now your wings are kind of spread out, you know, and they have that spacing. And so you kick it back to one of the wing players, and now the baseline defender and the wing defender are going to start collapsing into that wing attacker. And so if you play the aggressive part and be able to attack the basket from that position... Now you're possibly looking at the corner players being open for an open three-point shot. What you see the Celtics doing during that game is they never had the proper spacing. One, you would have the playmaker starting off right at the center of the three-point line. Mm -hmm. And that didn't give enough space for the wing defender and the, the ball handler to draw the attention from multiple defenders. Not only that, the Celtics never really had a guy at the free throw line. Yeah, I was going to say, I never saw them went to that. Usually whenever they did kind of get some action where the spacing was good enough for the wing ball handler to attack and draw the defenders in and they're starting swinging the ball to the other wing defender. There was a play where Jalen Brown could have just stayed at the baseline, but he chose to kind of go towards the baseline right where Bam was right under the basket. He lost the, the opportunity to just stay at the baseline for an open three where I believe Marcus Smart was, uh, he received the ball from Kemba Walker and he went in he tried to make a play towards the basket but Jalen Brown kind of because he sacked into the basket towards Bam like completely killed the play because now <laughs> everyone is around that painted area where Marcus was trying to go to he kind of had that a lot going on where the Celtics play were just kind of bunch up together and they they really wouldn't get the spacing right or the right timing to attack and pass the ball to the open guy I'm not really sure that they knew ever really practiced how to attack it and it just kind of made it seem like they lost the game because they just didn't know how to attack that defense. Look at how much they scored uh, in the first and second half. Uh, The first quarter, they scored 31 points. The second quarter, they scored 29 points. Like David said, that's 60 points total. And then in the third quarter, 17 points. And then in the fourth quarter, only 24 points. And then not to mention that in that third quarter, where the Celtics only scored 17 points, the Heat were able to score 37 points. So that's a plus 20 difference for the Heat. So where they were down in double digits, the end of the first half, 
they were able to get a seven-point lead at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought that just that was huge. Just the just surprising that they they had so much time in that one game to figure out how to attack the two-three zone defense, and they just could not figure it out. Yeah, I agree. More to your point, I thought they didn't have enough playmakers in that they held the ball for too long. Like they didn't make the timely passes. Like there's a few times where someone would try to cut in the middle and the Celtics did not pass, did not take advantage of that cut and pass it to the cutting player. And like you, you only get these small windows to make the right passes. And the Celtics against the two three zone, I think they, I thought they held the ball way too long. Like you mentioned, they just did not know how to how to attack their zone defense. But I thought I thought in game three they had a special player that helped a lot against his own defense. But before I get too far ahead, I just want to say in this fourth quarter, I thought the Heat just out hustled the Celtics. Like I, yes, yes, definitely. I wanted to add that fourth quarter defensively, there were so many deflections that mainly mm-hmm. by Jimmy Butler. He made he wasn't really big on the offensive end, but defensively he had so many deflections. Yep. And it led to a lot of easy buckets for him and completely destroyed the Celtics' ability to get back. There was a moment where the Celtics were getting some sort of momentum towards the fourth quarter where the game was really close. Jimmy Butler made some really clutch plays defensively where he anticipated two passes and were able to deflect the ball. One was really cool where he deflected the pass and the ball was going out of bounds. Mm -hmm. And he was able to save the ball from going out of bounds and doing a behind-the-back pass. With his left hand. <laughs> With his left hand, his off hand, which eventually led him to get getting the ball on an alley-oop. And then... He, he got it because he kept hustling. He kept running after he saved the ball. He didn't get... Like, he didn't stop running after saving the ball. He kept running to the basket. And it led yeah. to an easy, easy point. And there was another play. I think a couple of plays after, he uh, deflected a pass that was going to Jalen Brown. And that eventually led to an easy pass to Jay Crowder right at the basket. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just had so many clutch plays that... Not necessarily the clutch plays that we've been seeing on offense where he's, you know, driving to the basket and getting the the N1. But these were really clutch defensive plays that helped us get the the win in a very close game at the end. Once again, I mentioned this earlier, but Goran Dragic, Bam Abayo were huge. Like, I think Goran Dragic just looked to be, like, the best offensive player in the game. Especially, like, through the first two games. Like, he's been really crucial for the Heat offense and a big part of why they're up 2-0 in the first two games. Absolutely. And just to emphasize that point, Bam had 21 points, 10 for 16 on his field goal total, and Drogic had 25 points, 10 out of 19. And their synergy kind of played off each other, allowing them to get really open looks for one another and getting easy baskets, I would think, especially through that pick and roll action. That was it was unstoppable. Or at least the Celtics didn't want to stop it or didn't want to risk giving up a three point shot, which you got to give credit to Duncan Robinson. He finally came started coming through. He scored 18 points, shot 6 for 12, all from the three-point line. You know, the Celtics were worried that he might keep shooting those threes and making them. I guess a combination of those three really put a lot of pressure on the Celtics defense, and they kind of picked their poison. They chose to defend the three-point line and give the paint completely to Bam to have the easy road to the basket. Yeah, that's the difference that someone like Duncan Robinson makes. When he gets going, it so much more opens up for the offense. Yeah, absolutely. But that's it. That's all I wanted to touch on game two. This game three, I thought, wish the Heat lost. It was one moment was close, but I thought throughout almost the entire game was almost a blowout throughout this whole game. But what was apparent right at the very start for the Celtics was they made it their mission to attack the paint 
specifically attack Duncan Robinson. Whoever Duncan Robinson was guarding, they're going to drive in on Duncan Robinson. And like that, that's what happened in the first three plays for the Celtics. Um, and how it really opened up was the Heat started out playing a swishing defense. The Celtics knew this, so they would get Bam to switch up top at the perimeter, basically get him out of the paint, and then they'll swing the, the ball to whoever Duncan Robinson was guarding. And it was usually a Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown would just take it in, drive it, attack the basket. It was mostly Jalen Brown, but it was also Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, just driving it in on Duncan Robinson. In fact, the Celtics had 60 points in the paint for the, for the whole game. I think that has to be a record, but... Jalen Brown, who we mentioned, was pretty aggressive in, in the second game. I, I feel like he was 100% focused on driving on Duncan Robinson. Jalen Brown scored 26 points in the in this game. 10 of it was against Duncan Robinson. Of the 60 points scored in the paint, you know, Jason Tatum had 14 of his 25 points in the paint. Marcus Smart, who, who had 20 points in this game, his only field goal made was in the paint. He had 10 points in the paint. So that's 10 out of 20 points. And then his other 10 points was from the free throw line. He, like Marcus Smart did not make any like jump shot. It was all in the paint or free free throw. That's that was all his points. He was posting up against Goran Dragic. He was posting up against Duncan Robinson, attacking Duncan Robinson, getting Duncan Robinson into foul trouble. The whole heat front court was in foul trouble. Drake Jay Crowder was in foul trouble. Bam Abayo for for a short while was in foul trouble. I, I think that set the set the mood for the rest of the game. Really smart to get Bam out of paint. With Bam out of paint, now they were able to attack the rim. But they also Daniel Tice got in the paint and grabbed easy off offensive rebound against the smaller Heat defenders and just put it back easily. And I think that occurred twice in this game. With Bam out of the paint, it, Celtics took full advantage of that. Yeah, absolutely. I also felt that the addition of Gordon Hayward. Mm-hmm. With that whole issue going on where we couldn't protect the pain, just made things worse. Even though Gordon Hayward didn't have an especially effective offensive game, I felt he was able to contribute a much-needed stability on the defensive end against Bam. Where I'm not saying that Bam was stopped or slowed down on anything, but it just kind of gave the Celtics a breather whenever they didn't have Daniel Tice because Daniel Tice, he always got into foul trouble, have to go to the bench <laughs> for whatever reason. Right. They kind of needed someone reliable to kind of play, not necessarily stop Bam, but to have solid minutes and contribute in multiple ways on the floor. Whereas as we've seen in the first two games, we haven't seen Robert Williams play at all. Enos Cantor had a few moments in the previous game, and then Grant Williams hasn't really been effective either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now they have one of their best players back on the lineup and kind of see like Gordon Hayward just kind of filling up any spots that they needed, whether shooting the three, making a play for the basket, making the right pass, or even guarding Bam, slowing down a little bit. And I think we'll later touch on on how at certain moments in the game, Brad Stevens chose to go with all five best players. That was Brown, uh, Walker, Smart, Tatum, and Hayward. So they didn't have any traditional big at all. They had relatively good success playing that very small lineup. And, you know, you got to give credit for Hayward being able to play effectively right out of a huge injury. It's first time playing since he left about five weeks ago. And he played 30 minutes this game, which is astonishing given how he hasn't seen a real game in so long and seemed like he had his uh, conditioning pretty well. I think that was the difference. One of the biggest differences for that game is just having someone reliable to anchor down the Celtics roster. 
I agree. I mean, his stat lines doesn't jump out at you, but he did so much. I, I thought he was a big reason why the zone wasn't as effective because you have another playmaker now. And he made the right passes. He was able to penetrate, dribble, penetrate, and pass it out and create shots for his teammates. Like you mentioned this with him defending, there was a few instances where he had to pick up Bam. And I thought he did a, a relatively good job guarding Bam. It, that really helped to, like you mentioned, Stephen, to cover for Daniel Tice. You mentioned this too, where Gordon Hayward's and they could implement most efficient lineup. They're super small ball lineup, right? Where they have no traditional big in and the smallest player is Kemba Walker. And it's funny how when they first, when Brad Stevens first implemented that defense late in the second quarter, it led to some really great defense by the Celtics. And I think, Steven, you have a highlight of what that defense did to the Heat. Yeah, let me preface that whole <laughs> segment by saying how the Heat were brought back alive. They literally almost got back into the game or almost tied the game thanks to a huge boost by Tyler Hero, who scored 16 points, went for 16 out of 8, mm-hmm. 4 out of 5 from the three-point line in the second quarter alone. And he was able to bring the heat from a double-digit lead to only three points down. Tyler Hero's super hot. He's being super aggressive. I and mean, he literally wasn't playmaking at all. He was just getting the ball, getting to the three-point line, shooting, and they were falling down. And some like, of them were really contested shots, and yeah. he's still making it. <laughs> it was crazy. Like the, he really like hot hand. Like he could yeah. not be stopped. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like great. We're we're back in this. Right. We have a few more minutes, and you know he should get us the lead or at least tie the game for a fresh new second half. Right. Mm-hmm. Wrong. So so around the two minute and forty second mark, the Celtics decided to put that lineup where we mentioned was Brown, Tatum, Hayward, Smart, and Walker. Right. The really small ball lineup. That first play at the uh, with two minutes and forty seconds left, Brown made a play where he stole the ball. He picked off Jimmy Butler when he received a pass from Bam, I believe. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Jimmy Butler got the ball, he he got picked off by Jalen Brown, and he was able to pass it to a uh, breaking Tatum at the basket for an easy dunk. And then right after that, the the Heat missed their their shot. Tatum got the the rebound and passed it down the court to a fast breaking Jalen Brown for another easy dunk. And then the very next heat play, Jalen Brown made another steal where Jimmy Butler made a lazy pass to, to Bam just inside the, the key. And that led to another easy basket. Mm-hmm. And just like that, we were down three points. One minute after those three plays, back down by 10 points. Mm-hmm. And then the quarter ended with us uh, being down by 12 points. It just felt like all that effort by Tyler Hero, it just kind of got washed away. Just because the last two minutes and 40 seconds... But those three plays, it just felt very lazy. Like those two passes that Brown took, he was very active. Got to give him a lot of props for being active on the defensive end. But it just felt those passes looked very lazy where the the, the, the passer wasn't looking at to see where Jalen Brown was. And then where Tatum was able to get the rebound and pass it to a fast-breaking Jalen Brown, like it just felt like our transition defense wasn't there either. Like we, we just kind of slept on the fact that we missed the, the basket and no one got back on time. Just to give some credit to the Celtics, I think just like how the Heat confused the Celtics by throwing out that 2-3 zone, like I feel like this defense confused the Heat in that they oh, yeah. weren't anticipating. Because this is their strength. They're a small ball lineup. They're, they, they're good at stealing the ball. Very switchable defense. They don't have, but the only liability is Campbell Walker. Everybody else is very capable defenders. They could, they, they're fast because they're all small. Getting fast break points, getting steals. I, I think that's the strength of that type of defensive lineup. When Brad Stevens first implemented it, it, it caught the heat off guard and they weren't prepared for that. 
definitely it was clear difference night and day right especially how aggressive they were at jumping at those passes that's not possible without gordon hayward like gordon hayward enables so much even though his stats didn't stand out he still had three steals in his game like that's that's crazy another thing that the celtics focused on was containing Goran Dragic, and they did this by switching, making a, a defensive adjustment by switching Marcus Smart onto Goran Dragic and putting Kemba Walker on Jay Crowder. Um, it didn't help that Jay Crowder struggled in this game, struggled shooting, so they, he couldn't really take advantage of, couldn't really punish the Celtics for for that de- defensive assignment. But I think Marcus Smart, the Celtics' best one-on-one defender, he he made a difference, and he really gave Goran Dragic a lot of trouble. He prevented Goran Dragic from getting to the rim cleanly. Smart wasn't the only defender. The Celtics did switch up. But even when Kemba Walker was guarding Goran Dragic, I thought the few times that he did guard, guard Dragic, Kemba Walker did a very good job. He held his own. Like it, it probably was his best defense he played all series uh, for Kemba Walker. The Celtics were able to turn the Heat greatest offensive asset into like their biggest liability. Goran Dragic had a minus 29 you know, plus minus in this game. In one game, minus 29. The next lowest was minus 11 by Grant Williams. That's a huge discrepancy. And it, the trouble was Goran Dragic was not hitting his shots. You know, he's a liability on defense. And then he was turning the ball over. He turned it over five times in this game. I thought a lot of it has to do with how the Celtics, the defense played him up. If he tried to get the pick and roll against the defender, they'll try to force him right. Since he was driving baseline, the Celtics would send the big man and collapse on him. They basically trapped Goran Dragic in the corner. This happened like two times, and both times, Goran Dragic just lazily passed the ball, hoping the Heat would make the play, but both times the Celtics picked it off. It's funny because in the past couple of series against the Pacers and the Bucks, you saw how, how important Dragic was for our offensive success. Mm-hmm. If he's not going, you have to rely on, you know, either Butler or Tyler Hero to step up and kind of become one of those 20 plus point contributors to the op- to the offense. But right. I always thought if the opposing team can stop Drogic, that's a huge battle that they they were able to win. Mm-hmm. And now they can focus more on other players, which, you know, I I don't think the other teams are giving credit enough to try to slow down Drogic. And I think the Celtics finally hit it dead on in this game uh, by just making him completely ineffective. And it kind of put a lot of pressure on the other Heat players to make their shots. And what you also have to remember is that if Drogic isn't going, he's also one of our playmakers. So if he's Mm -hmm. not getting getting his playmaking involved, then, you know, you're looking at last uh, open passes to Crowder or maybe to easy pick and roll for Bam or Duncan Robinson, or any one of those players that they make plays for, I, I figured that eventually Brad Stevens would want to focus on stopping Drogic, and I think they did a really good job in this third game. Also, kind of like you mentioned, uh, Jay Crowder wasn't, didn't have his shots going in for him, and not particularly where he was being defended any differently. Mm-hmm. It just felt like it was one of those nights where his shots just weren't going in. He yeah. shot 10 times, and only two shots went in, so... And they were all three pointers. So when you know when you have both Drogic and Crowder, Drogic has been averaging I think over twenty five points in the series, over mm-hmm. twenty five points in the series, and Crowder has been averaging near twenty points. You know that's a lot of points to make up for. Kind of like the previous games, Jimmy Butler wasn't really aggressive early in the game, mm-hmm. and so he hadn't contributed much up into the second half at all. So now we really, I mean, that first half in the third game was really carried by Bam and Tyler Hero. 
Right. I mean, especially Tyler Hero in that first half, it was just very quote unquote heroic or hero ball, as people have been calling it. And, um, kind of kept us alive yeah what you mentioned earlier steven how the, he kind of wasted tide heroes heroic quarter he was two out of ten in every other quarter so it was just tide heroes only effective in that second quarter yeah <laughs> fortunately i was hoping he carried that momentum into the second half but yeah the, the heat offense that was the biggest especially the three-point shooting was the one of the downfall i mean at one point in the game the heat missed 13 three-pointers in a row like, it's hard to win games when you miss that many threes, and especially when your offense relies on those three-point shots. Yeah, I mean, overall, we shot 12 out of 44 on the three-point line. That's 27%. Mm-hmm. Um, 39% overall. It, it's just hard to win with that poor shooting. I mean, any team would struggle to win. You would think that us being a very three-point-oriented team, it's one of these bad nights, was they were eventually going to happen, and... You know, we got pretty close, but, you know, Bam's effort in the paint and Tyler Hero's performance. And Duncan Robinson also shot really well in that fourth quarter, um, which we'll get to in a bit. But they put up a very good effort to try to get us back into it, but it just wasn't enough. Too many missed shots. Uh, I think that's really what it came down to and our inability to protect the paint. Yeah. Besides Tyler Hero, and this has been consistent throughout the series, everybody else on the bench contribute almost nothing on offensive end. I would think Kelly Olenek facing his former team would have, you know, a bigger impact, but he's he's Dude. been really struggling to shoot the ball. Yep. And we know how he is on defense, defensive end where he's not offering too much there. Andre Iguodala, he's offensively, he's not really making an impact. And, like, I worry about him playing when he's not hitting his shots or even attempting a shot just because the Celtics tend to put the worst defender on Andre Iguodala. And it kind of stalls the Heat's offense if he's not really doing much on that end. I mean, at one point, they were putting Ennis Kenner on Andre Godala. Like, they just hide their worst defender on him. So, you know, he, he needs to score but just to show that, you know, he can still shoot a three. There was one play where Andre Godala was in. Goran Dragic was, like, he, he ran a pick and roll involving Ennis Kenner. But because Kenner was guarding Godala, Kenner just doubled Goran Dragic. That's how they were able to trap Goran Dragic in the corner, and it led to a turnover. Derrick Jones Jr., he got more minutes over Kendrick Nunn. I think he did okay on the defensive end, but again, just you know, not not offering too much on offense. It's been hurting the Heat because that's that's been one of their strengths. Their bench was able to offset some of the you know some of the off shooting from their starters, and and this night. You know, you have two of the starters, Jay Crowder and Goran Dragic, just having horrible, nice shooting the ball. But then you have nobody from the bench help picking up the slack. Yeah, I, I completely share your sentiment. Just to specify how bad it was for the bench players, Kelly Olenek shot 0 for 6, 0 for 4 from the three-point line. And Derek Jones Jr. shot four times and only made one, and one of those was a three-pointer. Mm-hmm. Um, and one guy I wanted to mention as well from the bench is uh Kendrick Nunn man like it seems like every time he gets on the floor it seems like he's really struggle he struggles on the defensive end which being the playoffs everything is you know at such a high level it seems like he's just always a step behind and always committing like silly fouls oh including one where he fouled Jason Tatum dunked from behind where he had oh, no chance of God. contesting but he still did. That I mean, makes- I give him credit for contesting the shot but no, that was that made no sense. Like he was, Jason Tatum was so far ahead, 
it made no like it made no sense why he would even try to like get near him. I think he never came back on the floor after that. <laughs> Such a bad play, like unbelievable. Like there was no way he would he was gonna catch up to Jason Tatum. Not even like try to block catching up. Like just even catching up. That's yeah. how far he was. And he so, hit Jason Tatum from behind. Like he was. That's how far. Was, yeah. yeah, it was a fast break, and Jason Tatum was completely free. And Jason Tatum was so surprised that anyone even like tried to block that. Like he he fell to the floor, and he was looking around, around like what happened. You know, like, <laughs> didn't even know that like, who fouled him. I think that's so important because, like David mentioned, we're we've been kind of lackluster on the bench production offensively. Mm-hmm. And one Olenek, I think it's very important for him to get his shot going, maybe make one or two baskets, hopefully from the three-point line. Um, and then Kendrick Nunn, too, you know, he hasn't been very, I mean, he hasn't been very successful at all. But if we get, if we're able to get any sort of production from him, it's, it really make things a lot easier and put less pressure on the offensive, on the starter units to really make all the production offensively. Mm-hmm. I, I was really hoping that the bench would be one of the, our brighter spots, and it's it's been very disappointing, unfortunately. Yeah, and especially because they were big, they were also one of the reasons why the Heat was able to beat the Bucks. Like the bench stepped up in the Bucks series, but they just been except everyone except for Tyler Hero. But even Tyler Hero struggled outside of that second quarter. You gotta give props to the Celtics bench. The Celtics bench are not gonna beat you outright, kind of like the Heat have been able to do. Mm-hmm. But they've been keeping up, you know, whenever they're in the first game, Brad Wanamaker was able to contribute a decent amount, even though they lost a game that technically they should have won is just that he were able to steal it away. Even Enos Kanter, who barely plays in that second game, he, he was able to give the Celtics a nice, effective eight or ten points. Yeah, it was it's, eight points on four or four shooting. So, yeah. yeah, very efficient. And even though we know he's a defensive liability, he made his presence known by putting those points up and just controlling the paint during those times that he contesting for an offensive rebound. And you remind yourself that, you know, even though it's a very short amount of time, like they made a, you, you could tell they're, they're, they're making a, a difference in the game. Whereas you look at like Andre Godala only played seven minutes in that third game and you don't even notice that he was there. Right. Kendrick Nunn. I mean, you definitely notice Kendrick Nunn because of the bad plays he makes. Unfortunately, he's not contributing at all in the offensive end while he's on the floor it's tough because you're putting a lot of pressure on the first unit and kind of like what you said uh in the previous podcast david luckily we had duncan robinson making his shots in this game or enough for him to stay in the game but right. if he's not making those shots and then the bench is not contributing man like we're in a tough spot and i also got to give a little bit of a uh, hard time to jimmy butler just because i felt like he should have been a little bit more aggressive earlier yeah. on he kind of tried to step it up towards the, the fourth quarter but I think it was just too much. Like it was we needed, too late. A... yeah, yeah. We were the Heat were down twenty points at one point in the fourth quarter. Like, it's a huge deficit to come back from. Yeah, I, I felt like he should have definitely tried to assert himself more in the third quarter. Uh-huh. Just lack scoring. When you see Drake Crowder and Gordon Dragic not scoring, like we need someone to step up and assert themselves. The only guy that was consistent throughout the game was Bam, who had twenty-seven points. Shot 10 for 14. I was very active in the paint, able to really well uh, doing some pick and roll actions as well as just charging the basket. It just really felt like no one else was really able to make a, a really strong impact consistently throughout the whole game for the Heat. I feel like even as much as we try to 
take advantage of Kemba. I feel like we should try to get more switches off to attack him more. Let's attack the paint more aggressively to take advantage of Bam's uh, size and just get him into foul trouble. Like, I still think that we are not being as aggressive as we should be and forcing a mismatch. I, I definitely agree, especially, like, one thing I want to see if the Celtics put in their small ball lineup again with Gordon Hayward, Bam needs to be aggressive in that lineup. Bam needs to attack that small ball lineup. He needs to, and I think he kind of was in, late in the fourth. I mean, that's where he really came alive. You know, he was re- he was kind of effective in the fourth and also got to the free throw line four times in that fourth quarter, just attacking the Celtics small ball lineup. But he needs to do it more often and he needs to be really assertive, really aggressive whenever the Celtics implement that lineup. Like Bam should make it where Brad Stevens don't even consider that lineup an option because of the advantage it gives to Bam. Yeah, yeah, like that, that's exactly it. And it's hard to think that Bam could be that much more effective seeing right. his production but i think we all said this like bam is gonna be the guy that's gonna take a that's gonna make or break the the series for the heat and mm-hmm. it's really gonna take a career effort all-time high career effort for bam to put us in a position to play in the finals just because he has those matchup favored towards him because of his size his athleticism and his ability to play make if he starts being aggressive and successful whether he's able to score at the basket by dunking or using his explosiveness to do a layup or getting their defenders on foul trouble. Mm-hmm. Now all the pressure's in the paint, and it opens up that, that whole three-point line for the entire Heat team. And uh, hopefully that will allow them to get back into a rhythm from the three-point line, especially Crowder and Duncan Robinson. Um, Bam can open that aspect of the Heat's offense. It would make a huge difference for us. And then, like you said, if we're putting so much pressure that... Brad Stevens has to switch from that lineup. That's that's a huge win for us. I did want to bring up this little stretch at the end of the uh, fourth quarter where we were down by 20 points in the fourth quarter, 100 to 80 at around the seven-minute mark. There were seven minutes left, left in the game, and uh, we were able to bring the game back to five points. Mm-hmm. A lot of effort by our defense, and Duncan Robinson, who came alive and you know, making some very clutch three-point shot. But we were also able to play very good defense during that time, forcing a few turnovers. I just want to highlight that real quick. The Heat has six points off a turnover in that fourth quarter compared to just two. Yeah. You know, everything just kind of dialed in, and we were led offensively by Duncan Robinson, and, and Bam also was able to contribute a lot. Unfortunately, it was just a little too late. We were able to get to a five-point deficit with 56 seconds left in the mm-hmm. quarter. The Boston Celtics were able to make some good stops on the on their defensive end, and then we you know we were forced to foul, and most of those fouls were against Marcus Smart, who were able to make his free throws. I think he made like six straight free throws that <laughs> closed the game out. So a little too late, you know, valiant effort, but a little too late, unfortunately. Yeah, it's really hard to overcome a twenty-point deficit with about seven minutes. That's really hard to do. I mean, this is how they came back, right, in game two and even in game one. They came back from these these deficits, or they, they came out, they show up big in the fourth quarter, but this was the biggest deficit they ever faced in the fourth quarter. And it was just, yeah, they can't they can't put themselves in these positions to always just come back in the, or to make their stand in the fourth quarter. I would like to see them just not have to come back all the time. Yeah, yeah the consistency is sometimes you see that it's not very... Uh consistent right. for lack of better words what i really want to see in the next game which i guess is a good segue to talk about is to see jimmy Butler assert himself a little bit more offensively because we haven't seen that 
Uh, we seen him make clutch plays, you know, offensively in the first game, defensively in the second game. Uh, third game, he kind of just missed the mark overall. But in the fourth game, I'd like to see him just dominate and be that offensive threat that make the Celtics defense really worry about. And I'm wondering if it's something that he can do, if he has a capability to do, or is Jason Tatum really providing him problems? Because Jason Tatum is the guy defending Jimmy Butler, and mm-hmm. it makes me wonder if he's just having a hard time getting around that length Jason Tatum is giving uh, Jimmy Butler. So, um, And also, I really want to see how, uh, how much more aggressive Bam can get. Right. It's hard to see him taking up the brunt of the scoring or the field goal attempts. You know, mostly his points that comes is from a set limited amount of shots and a lot of effort plays, you know, fighting for offensive rebounds or just getting fouled, driving to the basket. And, you know, I think he doesn't average more than 15 shots a game at most, right? Mm -hmm. I think even then that's being very generous for him. And he's able to produce a lot of numbers just from a lot of effort plays and getting to the free throw line. But I wonder if we start really focusing the offense on him it allows him him to get the freedom to be more aggressive and be more confident attacking the basket like i mentioned before i think it'll be it'll open a huge game a huge part of the offensive game for the heat yeah i agree what i want to see in the next game and i thought there was actually gonna be a disadvantage for the miami heat but we talked about this last week uh steven we talked about how we thought the heat the turnover battle will be in favor of the celtics but yeah in these past two games they used to game two and three is the heat Especially in game two, the Heat had to, like, they scored a lot of points off of careless turnovers by the Celtics. And even in game uh, game three, where both teams turn over about the same, the Heat turned over 13 times, the Celtics 14, but the Heat had 20 points versus 12 points off of turnovers. They still had the advantage over the turnover battle. And I think that's still, that's still a key going to the rest of the series because we thought that would be a weakness for the Heat, but they actually been doing pretty well on that part. Yeah, we got to keep it like that. Yeah, we, we can't let up on that end. That that'll be very important as well. I'm curious to see how effective the that small ball lineup the Celtics applied in Game Three. How long that's gonna last? I'm curious to see what adjustments Eric Spolster is gonna make and how we're gonna attack that. I was just gonna say, I'm what I'm worried about, and we and Stephen, you mentioned this too, you know, last week podcast about Jalen Brown being more assertive, being more involved. Like he's been getting more and more involved with each game. Like in game two, he took a lot of long twos or floaters, didn't really attack the rim. But in game three, that's like all he did. I don't think I mentioned it, but like seventy percent or eighteen of the twenty six points Jalen Brown scored was in the paint, and he's a great offensive rebounder too. Each game, he's getting better and better. I'm hoping that doesn't continue in Game 4. Like, the Heat needs to plan for him. Just to kind of specify how aggressive he was driving to the basket, he took 17 shots or field goal attempts. Only four of them came outside the paint. Uh Uh-huh. And he's just taking it to the hole. He is the best athlete there besides Bam. And if one of our guards is trying to stop him, it's not going to (laughs) happen. And that's going to collapse the defense. Mm -hmm. And, And... Man, there, but there was this one attempt where uh, Jalen Brown got past our uh, our guards, and he was driving baseline, and Bam just met him at the backboard and he just completely stuffed him. <laughs> it's like, man, that was great. But you know, it just puts a whole different level of pressure on our defense and on Bam, yeah. who he's contesting those kinds of shots where 
the attackers are driving right into his body. We we gotta be worried about Bam uh, getting into foul trouble, which mm-hmm. you know, fortunately he didn't. He was in a little bit of foul trouble early on, but he he was right. able to kind of not get into too many more fouls towards the second half. But can you imagine if Bam gets into foul trouble like that at the end of the game? If yeah. he can't get like his almost forty minutes in the game, it's doomed for the for the Heat just because he's so important on both now the offensive end and the defensive end. Yes, for sure. So yeah, that's that's a big concern for me. Him and Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward, bigger bigger concern for me is the next game is gonna be Wednesday. Like that's it's no longer every other day. Like that it's a huge rest period. And that's, I think I think it benefits the Celtics most in that it gives Gordon Hayward time to rest up and get closer to hundred percent. And like he was still very effective despite him missing a lot of shots. But like I'm worried that his shot to go in, like it's it's not good for the Miami. Yeah, absolutely. And then you also gotta wonder that how effective is our zone defense gonna last for? Mm-hmm. When you, we talk about game two, how ineffective they were, they were a little bit more effective in game three. Kind of surprised that we sucked so much to to man to man defense, just because it feels like we get destroyed whenever that we we try to, whenever we have Duncan Robinson in or Goran Dragic, it seems like it's it's they're gonna score on us very effectively if we're playing man to man. But when we applied the zone defense, it's been very effective. But now they have four days to just set up practice and go over their options and how to be effective offensively against that defense. You know, the transition between games two to three, they didn't have a practice day, um, partially because, you know, I guess they, they wanted to rest. Um, and there was also sort of the argument between the the players. And I guess Coach Stevens felt that it was better just to let them cool off and not have practice. But now they have four full days where they could rest and just go over every single option and what they could do on the offensive end against that zone defense. And I wonder what we're able, what, what are we going to do defensively if mm-hmm. you know they, they figure out how to beat our that zone defense. It'll be very tough to stop them. Hayward, I think, is going to be very key because he he's another playmaker that can be very effective. You know, he could drive to the paint, he could pass, he could score mid-range jump shots, long-range jump shots, and, you know, his ability to just provide a little bit of, in every single one of those categories, it just makes him a a Swiss Army knife that can literally cut us apart. Even if he's not making his shots, eventually he's going to be able to make the right play to get their offense going in a rhythm, and I think that's all they need, which brings me to worry a lot for the next game. Yeah, it's the points you mentioned, Stephen. Bam Abao needs to be more aggressive. Jimmy Butler needs to take over. They just got to hit their threes. They miss a lot of threes in this game. And some of them were were open shots, so they can't be shooting under 30% with 40 attempts. The one bright side in this resting period that they're going to have, hopefully Goran Dragic will be able to rest up and find his rhythm offensively again to put the blame on him. Uh, but we do need him because he's such a big part of our offense. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it always makes me wonder if he's, his age, his very injury-prone past, is, you know, catches up to him sooner than um, you would think. Because we kind of saw it a little bit in the Bucks series as well. After the third game, like, his production just kind of declined. Although not as bad as this one, but 
you know, it makes me wonder, like, if the, the wear and tear it gets to him when he's playing every other night in this very, very tough game. So, I hope you're right because I, I really thought like his plays drop off when they put really good defenders on him. Like with the Bucks series, they put Eric Bledsoe on Goran Dragic, and that we saw a difference there. Yeah, and we saw now Marcus Smart is guarding Goran Dragic, and that I mean it was just one game, but it was Goran Dragic's worst game I would say of the entire playoff series. So. Uh, that's what I'm curious to see. It seems like even though we're still up 2-1, I feel like matchup-wise, now it feels like we're behind. We're the ones that need to make the, mo- the adjustments to get back in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. You know, even if the Heat are making their shots, I still feel like the Celtics are going to have the more flexibility to be able to win now they have now that they have Gordon Hayward back. Because we're only relying on our shots to go win, which is never a good feeling. Because then it feels like we're kind of out of control. Kind of just hoping that, you know, we're shooting a high percentage. Yeah, I think it all depends on Bam and Jimmy Butler just generating the good looks for the offense. And, and that's from being aggressive. And hopefully, yeah. Eric Spolzer can control plays where it opens uh, both those players up. Let, let, let me ask you, do you feel Jimmy Butler is just holding back? Or do you have this feeling that maybe Jason Tatum has his number? I, I do think he's holding back a little, but it's always been like Jimmy Butler just sending plays up for his teammates, and then when it comes down to clutch moment, he'll take it over. I feel like that's been his play style throughout the playoffs. Except for that game one against the Bucks, it seems like he just takes over in the final minutes or in the fourth quarter. To me, I think he is kind of holding back, but maybe that's how he's able to you know, play such great defense throughout the whole game. Like Maybe he's conserving his energy to the last moments, but... Okay. Yeah, I'm just worried Tatum might be giving a little a hard time with his length. Mm-hmm. The timing just felt so off when he tried to be aggressive, like towards the fourth quarter and not the third quarter, just because mm-hmm. it's like, man, that's like it feels kind of like too late. Yeah, and he hasn't taken a lot of shots in the in this entire series. Mm-hmm. I'm just a little worried. I hope he can assert himself and be dominant. He needs to have a dominant offensive game. Like, uh, against the Bucks, like, that set the tone for the entire series. Like, mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler was dominant. Like, he scored, like, 40 points in the first game. Think of the pressure that puts on the defensive end on the other team. And as much as, you know, the, the Celtics respect him and, you know, they're defending him really well and a lot of credit to J- Jason Tatum, like, he needs to have that kind of dominance, dominant presence to really make the, Celt- the Celtics defense be like you know we need to keep a a second or third body just looking at him every time he gets the ball right you know just that little bit of extra pressure will kind of open up our three-point line even more but i hope that he'll have a very dominant game coming up soon because i think we're going to need it do you have anything else to add david you know since we have such a long break i guess change up our schedule where we usually release a podcast out on wednesday night but since the next game is on Wednesday, September the 23rd. Our next podcast could be on September 24th or Thursday. Yep. So we'll see you guys again on Thursday. We're going to give you a, a very detailed breakdown of game four. And hopefully we have a Miami Heat win. But we'll mm-hmm. give you all the details on how that happens. So stay tuned, guys. 